Hello, basketball fans. Welcome to a brand new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, also known as the Connecticut Sun game host, Tarika Foster-Brasby. What's up, Beyonce? Hey, girl. How you doing? (laughs) I see you out there, girl. I see you out there. Tarika is um, very happy. I know you guys can see her right now, but she is smiling ear to ear because we have a member of the Connecticut Sun on the podcast with us today. We have none other than the Dewana Bonner joining our show to talk about the Connecticut Sun that is off to a blazing start. No disrespect in the air. All the recognition for the Sun without Alyssa Thomas, incorporating John Quill Jones back in, Natisha Heidemann's on fire. Like, I mean, they even pushed through the Breon January injury, which by the way, we're gonna get back to who's on the show in a moment, but the headliner right now in the WNBA has got to be injuries. And there's so many of them, unfortunately, we can't talk about them all, but Diana Taurasi is out right now with a small fracture in her sternum, in her chest. Um, that she suffered during the game, played two games after that, actually suffered in the Connecticut game, um, and then still played for two games, but she's going to be out. Natasha Howard is out with an MCL sprain. She just got back for the New York Liberty, so now she's going to be out four to six weeks. Our prayers go out to Jasmine Walker, the rookie for L.A., who has had some very promising moments um, in in her rookie campaign out of Alabama, who was out with the torn ACL. She was the number seven overall draft pick. Ariel Powers is out right now with injury, adding to the long list of players that have been out, including Elena Deladon. I mean, it's just the injury bug is out here, Bria Hartley. So with that being said, the storyline becomes who steps up. You know, is it, I know Phoenix is hoping to get Hartley back, but is Kia Nurse, is Megan Walker going to step up? With Natasha Howard out, you know, multiple forwards on that team, obviously, but is it going to be, you know, Kylie Shook going back to getting more win minutes? Um, you know, there's a team that can play small, you know, what would Kia Stokes add, you know, Onion Wede. So um, a lot to watch for a New York team that is on a roll. I mean, if you look at the standings right now, I'm going to roll them out to you. We have um, the New York Liberty Five and one, Connecticut one, five and one, excuse me, five and one, both teams with one loss. Seattle Storm, four and one. Las Vegas Aces, three and two. Chicago Sky, two and two. Candace Parker, oh my God, how did I forget Candace Parker out with an ankle injury along with Allie Quigley? And they would have, I think they could have won their last two games for sure had they had one or both of those players. Um, Atlanta Dream is two and two. So on and on and on, you get the point. But the injuries are mounting, and we will have to see how these teams adjust. Now, moving along, we just want to give a few players some love that have started out the gate on fire. We will hear from Dewana Bonner in a while, and her teammate, Jonquil Jones, is also playing at a very high level. So on the two early MVP candidate list, Benajah Laney, <laughs> killing it. Benajah Laney, Tarika, I mean, come on now. She come went on from... Now. MIP to possible MVP, okay? (laughs) Like, what? She has been outstanding so far this season. Like, incredible. 26 points against Dallas and seven straight 20-point games going back to last season. Her sixth straight 20-point game this season ties Cappy Pondexter for the fifth longest such streak to start a season in WNBA history. Cappy also went to, what? Rutgers. And it's the longest streak since seven by Elena Deladon in 2015. Elena Deladon's a two-time MVP. But Nigel Laney is, yeah, she's kicking butt. Um, already talked about John Quill Jones. Jewel Lloyd. Jewel Lloyd. I mean, is she's blazing. She's the gold mamba for a reason. 19 points, eight rebounds, five assists, three steals in a big game against Connecticut on Tuesday. She has scored 106 points through five games this season. She's, she's killing it. Alicia Gray, small sample size, but just remember I said Alicia Gray. I just want you to mark that on this podcast because we're going to come back to that at some point. So anyway, a lot of really impressive performances to start. Those were just a few. 
Also on our show, we will have one of my favorite people in the world, Sydney Colson, who's amazing. And we're going to talk about Kurt Miller, the fine, the comments to Liz Cambage or to the officials about Liz Cambage and the suspension, the apology, all of the above. What do we think? We will talk about it with Sydney Colson. Um, James Wade filing a complaint against the WNBA after a an official referred to him in a derogatory manner. We will get into that as well with Sydney Colson. And then last but certainly not least, we are starting a new segment called Five Questions with the Legend, where we bring in one of the legends of the WNBA. This time it just happens to be Delisha Milton-Jones, head coach at ODU, two-time WNBA champion with the Sparks, who's going to talk to us about some of her best WNBA memories through the toughest five questions you will hear on any podcast. Yes, that's right. I said it. Okay. Did I forget anything, Tarika? What else? I just think we got to give a really quick shout out to Tina Charles when we're talking about people who are balling. Tina is out here dropping three 30-point games in a row Last one was against uh, the Dream, I believe it was, on Tuesday. And Tina said, look, y'all got to look at me. I'm, I'm out here making moves. I'm holding it down while Elena is out. She joins Maya Moore as the only player in WNBA history with three 30-point games in the first five games of the season. So shout out to you, Tina. Well, and I said this on Twitter. Like, her footwork, I, I don't know that there's a player right now at active in the WNBA that has better low post moves than Tina Charles left hand, right hand, pivot foot, reverse pivot hook shot. Like, and she's had to do it over six, nine, Brittany Griner and six, seven Tierra McCowan already this season. Like size don't matter. Nope. And she was, she did have a first rough game out of the gate against Chicago, but I go back to something that Mike Tebow told us about her preparation for a season. She's a pro. Like she's very business-like with her approach to the game. She got in the gym in the off season, found a gym open in Brooklyn with her trainer and she went to work and it's showing. Now, Washington's got a lot to figure out as a team. However, team looks good. And Maisha Hines-Allen is back. So, and Ariel Atkins is playing better. So life is looking up for the Mystics. Cheer up fans. I love you in the DMV. All right, with that, we have an action-packed show for you. We hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends about Around the Rim. Rate us. Leave your comments. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at LaChina Robinson. Um, Tarika is at SheKnowsSports underscore. Our podcast is at Around the Rim Pod. Our Gmail account, for those of you that prefer to do it old school, is around the rim podcast at gmail.com. And just make sure you're checking your WNBA app, which hopefully you've downloaded, got your league pass, and be plugged in to all the fun and exciting games that are coming up. And before we transition, I just want to say a major, major shout out to all of you, because in case you did not see it, there was an announcement from ESPN. So far in the 2021 WNBA season, we are averaging 357,000 viewers. That is up 74% from the 2020 season average and up 45% from the 2019 season average. So this ain't about COVID. We up 45% from pre-COVID, okay? Um, and that's only five games. We got, listen, we got big dreams. So we're pushing these numbers, but between the media, the sponsors who've stepped up, the players that are using their platforms, everyone is a part of this. Everyone, it takes a village to see a 74% increase. It takes a village to see a 45% increase. And obviously the play on the floor is where it starts, but we gotta be proud y'all. This sport is growing. Women's basketball is growing. Tarika's in, in Alexis giving out free league passes, like all of these efforts count. So these flowers are for you. T, what are you thinking? Love it. Every time I see um, someone talking about how amazing the W is and every time ESPN PR releases a number that shows that we are continuing to grow, I just get excited. Well, keep doing it, guys. And with that, we hope you enjoyed the show.
We are super, super excited about our next guest because if you hear me talk about college basketball, and yes, I'm going to go back to our college days, I always talk about my favorite backcourt ever in the history of college women's basketball. And if you don't know, it is the law firm of Sydney Colson and Sydney Carter. Um, from their days at Texas A&M, where, yes, they won a national championship as a two-seed, Gary Blair, love him, go back and listen to our national championship podcast. But Sydney Colson is just someone who is not only just highly respected for everything she is, basketball player, leader, voice, role model, comedian, but um, she's just real and is a person who puts her all, whether it's on the court, between the lines, off the court, um, we just appreciate Sydney and all the laughter and all the great moments she has brought to our lives. Um, also just wanted to mention that she was drafted in 2011 and she's had a seven year career in the WNBA, but she did not play from 2012 to 2014 in the league, worked her way back in. And no matter what team she has been on, she has made an impact. And I just think that level of resilience is so respectable. So join us in welcoming in her first co-hosting appearance on Around the Rim, Sydney Colson. Oh, LaChina, what? <laughs> Please begin my funeral. Like <laughs> I'm oh there. So that was so sweet. As long as we get your edges laid down like that in the casket, <laughs> I'm there. I'm 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 100 percent Love that you're Right, Casket Sharp. Love you're representing Houston. I see the sweatshirt. Is that where you are now? Yeah, born and raised. That's where I live. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the temperature definitely isn't right for this, but I don't dress according to temperature. I just like wear clothes. Honestly, yeah. I was really sitting here thinking like, yo, I know it's 100 degrees in Houston. It's <laughs> definitely <laughs> like a smooth 90. <laughs> like but I keep it really cold in my place. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like that person that keeps it on like 70 because yeah. I would rather be cold when I sleep and when I'm around, but I like it hot outside. Oh, see, no, no. couldn't be in your place, no. And I was outside too, so there's no justification that I was only indoors. Like, no, I live. <laughs> so take the hot sweatshirt off. Um, <laughs> so Sydney, tell us everything you're doing besides the fact that Tariq and I are waiting for a WNBA team to pick you up. Um, what else you got going on? So since the started the new year, like since 2021, like January, I don't know, I think it was maybe the eighth or something. I started taking acting classes because in the off season from uh, like when last season ended in the bubble, um, like I just had a feeling, I was like, okay, this might be close to the end or the end. And I, you know, like luckily I've done other things like in my career, like you said, the times where I wasn't playing, I was on staff at AM. Um, as a video coordinator at GA. And then I coached at Rice for two years while playing in San Antonio. So like I've dabbled in some other things to where I wouldn't just be like totally lost. Um, but in the past, probably when I got, before I got to Vegas in 2019, I was overseas and I was also having the feeling like this might be the end and the Vegas thing just happened. You know, I was cut at the last minute and brought back, but I was totally fine. Like if that was it, I was like, okay, I want to pursue acting seriously and so if this is God's sign that like I, you know I don't want you playing anymore then I was just gonna move forward with it so like just because other things kept happening I just hadn't gone at it full throttle but finally I was just like at the start of the new year I was like I'm gonna take a class um they had some that were in part they had one that was in person in Houston um you know just had to like wear masks and all of that but it's been really good I took like a month off and I'm about to start another one so wow. that's pretty much it you know and I'll like try to get representation from an agency once I feel like once I feel like I am good enough to go on somebody's set not that I have to be like the perfect actress but I need to understand a lot more than I do right now to like seek representation from an agency and um, start auditioning so I was just like yeah this is what I want to be doing right now well listen you may feel like you got more work to do. We're ready for the debut. So you just let us know what, when we need to buy tickets because if you're not following Sydney on Instagram, what's just an Instagram handle? Sid J. Colson. There you go. You should be. Hilarious, born to act. I always knew you were born to do something on television. I wanted you to be a commentator. You rejected me on that. <laughs> and then... <laughs> 
got into coaching. I was like, okay, I think it's great, but still not there. <laughs> you're like, you're close, but that's not what I told you to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not it. I need you in front of the camera, like talking and letting us see you and all your brilliance. So we're excited about that. Um, and, you know, you're a natural, period. Um, all right. So we got a couple things we want to ask you about, Sydney. And uh, I'm going to join in this conversation too. So we're going to let Tarika, AKA Angela Yee, she doesn't like when I call her that, introduce our topics. Go ahead, T. If you follow me on Twitter, you know why. But Oh, did you say, uh, what? Okay, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead. We got- <laughs> Angela right. presented me with an award last year, so we're friends. And so you're going to have to keep that slander to a minimum if there is any. Go ahead. Listen, I'm not going to say anything offensive about your girl, but- there has been uh, quite a bit around offensive comments circulating this week in the WNBA. And so first, we are going to start with Connecticut Sun general manager and coach Kurt Miller being fined $10,000 and being suspended for one game after a comment that he made about Las Vegas Aces star Liz Cambage. And so after Sunday's game, Liz went to her Instagram to basically um, respond to the comment that Miller had made regarding her weight. Apparently he was trying to get the referees to call a foul in her favor. And he said something along the lines of, come on, she's 300 pounds. And this was overheard by Liz and Liz did not take exception to such statements made about her. And so let's take a quick listen to what she said on her Instagram story in response to the comments that were made about her. Something went down. Uh, in today's game and I need to speak on it because if there's one thing about me is that I will never let a man disrespect me ever 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 especially a little white one so to the coach of Connecticut I'm sorry little sir man I do not know your name um but the next time you try to call out a referee um you know trying to get a call being like come on she's 300 pounds I'm gonna need you to get right baby I'm 6'8". I'm weighing, I just double checked because I love to be correct and get facts. I'm weighing 235 pounds and I'm, I'm very proud of being a big bitch. Body, Big Ben's baby. Um, so don't ever try to disrespect me or another woman in the league. I don't know if that's how like coaches run. Like you just disrespect, you try to disrespect women like that from the sideline. Are you so lucky? It was during a game. That whole part, you were so lucky that I was at my doing my job. Anyway, to that little man, like whole little tiny, like where is you? Um, stop trying to protect your insecurities, baby. Pick up the phone, call the psych, cause you're projecting some bullshit now. Um, and next time you try to disrespect me. Remember, I'm 235. It might seem like 300 pounds to your little ass. But I'm, I'm 235, baby. So, yes, Liz definitely brought that heat on her IG story in regards to this. And then the next day, Kurt Miller did apologize in a statement that he made to Liz. And he also, again, was fined $10,000 and was suspended for one game. So he was not on the sidelines for Connecticut while they were um, playing against Seattle on Tuesday. But interested in knowing, um, how do you guys feel about this? Um, do you feel he crossed the line? And, you know, what are your thoughts on, on this entire situation? Okay, so obviously, like, well, I don't know if it's obvious because sometimes people apologize and it's not right. But he must have felt something about what he said. You must have felt like it was inappropriate in hindsight to go back and apologize because it's not like an apology stops you from being fined or from, uh, you know, like getting blowback about this. I will say, and, and it's probably different for players like when we're on the court and players when we talk to a ref or when we talk to another player, but it's a common thing for like, if I was on a team, if I was playing against LaChina at Wake in practice and I fouled LaChina 
and it's little old me against LaChina and she does something dramatic and falls or we just act like it affected her so much. Most smaller guards, like, look how big she is. Like, I did not affect her. Like, that did not bother her that much. I feel like, though, in an age of you have to be very careful about what you say, who's listening. I'm not going to say that people are necessarily more sensitive than we've ever been. And I'm not saying, like, what he said was just, like, you didn't need to, to say that. But... I do think that there are situations like in basketball or in sports in general, where, like people say sometimes this stuff is offensive. Sometimes it's, you know, like inappropriate. And I was trying to think about when I, when I heard about this, cause I looked at my phone, like, I don't know, it was kind of in the middle of the nights and I saw Liz's response or it was like really early in the morning and I kind of was half asleep. So I thought I didn't really see it. Once I woke up and was like fully awake, I was like, did I see that? But once I saw he was fine, I was like, oh, I did see her talking early about being a big body bins or whatever. Like, okay, so I did see this, but I feel like the vernacular has to be different, I guess, from a coach usually. Even though I think that there are a lot of coaches in the league who say some reckless stuff. Maybe it just doesn't get picked up by the player that it's being addressed to. Um, but, you know, I've heard some slick things like over the course of my career. Um, but, you know, maybe people feel like when it's player to player, it's more okay. And when it's coach to, especially a male coach talking about a girl, then I think a, a, a lot more factors come into play. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you said, you know, the times we're in. The first thing that I thought about was Liz's journey, her physical journey, right? Yeah. Like, well-documented that she has been on a mission over the last, I don't know, maybe five years of her career, maybe probably even before that, but at least as far as we can see and she has talked about, like she's tried to get in the best shape of her career, which included losing a lot of weight. She looks amazing. Let me say that. Cause I'm a big body bins <laughs> as well. Right. I'm six, four. And I just look at, how she is toned, you know, even being in shape, running up and down the floor. I remember watching her early in her career and she would get winded, you know, trying to keep up with the pace of the game and so many things like that. So the first thing that stood out to me was that, was that this is a player and a woman who's been on a journey to be in her best body, which has taken a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, all of those things. So with that being said, I can't imagine what it was like in that moment then to have someone put an extra 50 pounds on you. Listen, I step on the scale every day. Okay. I want to know, did I gain a pound, pound and a half, two? Like, I, I want to know. And, um, you know, not to say everyone is like me and not to say that all women are the same, but I do think the way that our world just, oh my God over-sexualizes women and our, you know, too, it's all about our bodies and how we look and what our, how big our butt is and, you know, what bra size you got, you Drake and everybody's talking about all that stuff, right? Like in a world where we're objectified in that way, yeah, there's a lot of sensitivities around that and there, and there should be for good reason. And so, you know, I, I do like you believe that there are a lot of things that are said about people during the course of the game, during the heat of battle um, between players. I think coaches have to be better. Coaches have to yeah. be better. They have to do better. And Kurt is someone that I've had a lot of conversations with. I totally respect who he is as a coach. I don't know him personally. Like we've never hung out, things like that. But, you know, from everything I've seen, you know, he's a good guy. But he was wrong. And I'm glad that he did not hesitate. First thing the next day, he apologized. Um, I, I, am, I stand behind the league being what most people would say is harsh with a suspension and a fine, because I think you send that message and we don't have to deal with this again because people are like, listen, I ain't getting fined and I'm going to get um, yeah. this again. Right. So I, I respected all versions of it. And I know some people were not happy with the way Liz expressed herself, right. but- she has every right to say whatever she feels. I mean, she was very hurt and we all know Liz, that's who she is. So you either take it or leave it. We're not complaining about, you know, her response to Kurt Miller. We're using this as a, an op opportunity to bring to the forefront the appropriate and inappropriate ways that you can address the woman and her weight.
Mm-hmm. No, without a doubt. Yeah, I saw a lot of people were like going to that response, you know, instead and what and what she said, instead of focusing on like why she was having to respond to something in the first place. Kind of like black people protesting. Right. Telling, telling you how to do it. It's like, well, I shouldn't have to be doing it in the first place. Focus on why I'm doing it. Woo. Uh, when I saw that comment, I was just like, all right, like so when somebody's offended, you expect them to just be like so kind to the person who offended them. Like that's rare. And people, no. the people who are probably commenting that, like you don't, you don't behave like that in your personal life. Like we don't see what's happening in your personal life and how you respond to people who hurt you or hurt your feelings. But you get on here and you talk about somebody who did something that's like in the spotlight. It's, you know, it's given hypocritical. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head because <laughs> whew, why do we focus on how people are responding, how the victims, right. the offended party is responding is beyond me. And you make yep. a wonderful comparison in that way. All right, so we're good with that, T. What else you got for us? All right, so in, uh, in an interesting uh, connection to responding to, you know, racism and racial epithets that are used on a regular basis, um, James Wade filed a complaint to the WNBA because of a derogatory term that was used towards him in a, um, in a game from an official. There was a player that was speaking to or an official and the official responded to said player by saying, you can tell that to your boy or in paraphrasing something uh, around those words, um, talk to your boy. And anyone who has any knowledge of, of how the term boy has been associated with an, an adult black male can understand why that's not something that um, would have set well with James Wade. And so my question is, you know, did the official go too far? And I know, you know, before you answer that, I understand that in urban vernacular, when you're talking to someone that's your friend or your homie, you will shorten the word homeboy to say, is that your boy? Is that your friend? You know what I'm saying? In that term. However, kind of like how we use a lot of words in, in a certain culture, it's not something for everyone to use, in my opinion, not something that everyone has the ability or the, the, the right to say. Um, so again, I pose the question starting with you, Sydney, do you think the official went too far in his language? Like so many, so many things that are championed or like made cool or sound cool, like in, in black culture, when other people try to use it, um, you know, like you can say, you can say it to the wrong person. Like there could be some black people who let you say it and it sounds, you know, it's fine for them. And there will be a sector of black people who are totally not okay with you trying to talk to me at that level. Cause I don't rock with you like that. I don't know you, you're not black. Um, it's the same thing, like people saying like, you know, like a lot of black women feel away about non-black women calling them sis. Like, mm -hmm. and so like, like you said, when it's, when it's somebody who is not of the culture taking the vernacular and like using it toward you, especially if you were being kind of disrespectful and you weren't wanting to, because the, the scenario I'm imagining is that James was trying to talk to you and I know James can be away with the ref sometimes but you were probably tired of hearing from him and you told the player like talk to your boy probably get him before I team up something along those lines and you know I'm not a fan and I didn't know that I don't know which uh refs by face I saw the names and I couldn't like think of the faces but I do not think that it was a black ref so yeah for me there was probably another way like tell your coach get your coach get James there were a lot of other ways and feeling too comfortable or like you can just say anything to anybody can get you in trouble because it, it could have very well been a case where he was saying that and not meaning anything but who you're saying it to they took it away like you said that's a black man that you're talking to and he's not a boy he's not your homeboy he may not even be his player's homeboy because that's their coach so probably just like a lot of lines were <laughs> We're just like overstepped. Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, perception is reality. And once you step outside of the realm of 
vernacular that you should be using that is appropriate in that scenario, you open yourself up to interpretation, period. Yep. And mm-hmm. so, however, James Wade in, interpreted that comment, the word boy should never have been used with him ever in that situation anyway, right? Yeah. And yeah. so to me, it's a matter of you interacted with him in a way as from an official to a coach or an official to a player that you should not have. And yeah. however he perceived that or received that, now you got to deal with it. Right. And so I don't I don't see a scenario ever where an official should refer to a, a coach as a boy through players directly to the coach. However, yeah. so you were wrong. Like that is unacceptable for you to refer to him in that way. And um, I'm interested to see what the response to it is. Do you think because I think I already know in my mind, I don't see you saying that to a player who has a white coach that's male or female. I don't see you saying get your boy or get your girl about them. 100%, which, which then also gives that reference some racial context. Right, which is James's problem in the first place. 100%. That, yeah. that, that, I 100% agree with that, that you don't use that term in that way. Carol no. Reed, you weren't telling, <laughs> you weren't telling right. Like, hey, get your girl. I right, just de- right. can't, can't say because it's hypothetical, but I'm willing to bet a lot on it. A whole lot on yeah. it. And we learn and, you know, we're supposed to be trained and understand racial sensitivity language when it comes to language, you know, uh, gender sensitivity as it pertains to language. Like I'm learning new things around, you know, trend representation and how I need to speak and things I should and shouldn't say, like, we got to be held responsible and we got to be held accountable. When you're talking about a white man being the one who has done something is very different from you talking about trying to learn about trans people. I have things that I need to learn too, but I think when you're already a member of a marginalized group or group that people don't understand or have oppressed, like your interest in learning about other people is much higher than a white man. Cause I don't, what do I need to be sensitive for? Kind of everything in this world is kind of catered to me. Well, I'm, I'm good on what I say, how I behave and how I act. Like somebody will take care of me. Like I, that's the, you know, the mindset. And because we are marginalized, we know how it feels to be referred to in a certain way or, you know, language used against us inappropriately or we know how that feels. So we're quick to be, let's get this straight. Let me get that right. Right, right. Just like you were saying, uh, how a coach talks to a player versus how a coach is trying to talk to a coach or whatever. Like there's still, even though it's sports, like I feel like there still probably should be a level of professionalism when you're talking to another adult. Yes, period. To, but we're not just on the side, like talking to each other any kind of way. Like you don't just have black refs calling black coaches the N word. Like, you know, like you don't have that. So why do you feel like you should not have to be? Totally agree. Well, I will say that um, James Wade did say in a comment, um, that's what I've been dealing with. That's how people see me. And that's why I take it personal. Um, the WNBA does typically investigate these kinds of complaints, but they don't really comment on any impending investigation. So I guess we will see. We will see what happens. Well, that's all I got. Listen, I just came out the gate spicy for you on your first appearance for uh, on Around the Rim. So my bad. <laughs> hot topics, Sid. Hot topics. We appreciate like- you. Let's put you on the hot seat. Yeah, of course. Anytime, y'all. Thank you. This was hey, fun. We get, and next time you're going to be like co-hosting for the whole show, like not just a segment. So this is your warm up. I'm ready. Thanks, Sid. We appreciate it. All right, WNBA fans. Well, um, the season has started and you never know what to expect, right? Like we throw all these preseason thoughts out and all these predictions, but what we really love is when there's a lot of shakeups to start the year. Now, one thing we do know that we absolutely cannot do is disrespect the Connecticut Sun because we have left them out of the picture in the past and they have basically made all of us look crazy. 
uh, making their way last season, just one series short of the WNBA finals. And this season was the lone team atop the standings for a, for a minute until they just recently suffered their first loss to the Seattle Storm. So the Connecticut Sun are rolling and we are joined by um, one of their biggest and brightest stars and one of our favorite people, none other than the Dewana Bonner. Welcome Dewana. Thank you. Hi guys. <laughs> It's so great to have you. Now, you're a two-time WNBA champion from your time in Phoenix, three-time WNBA All-Star, but probably my favorite role of yours is that you are the mom of twin daughters, Callie and Demi. Just yes, tell us how I, the girls are doing right now. Oh, my God. Right now, they're, they're actually in Seattle, so um, they were there for the game um, when Candace and I played against each other, so I got to spend a little time with them, but they're grown little ladies now. They are um, about to turn four years old, and yeah, they run the show around here. <laughs> so how do they handle it when you and Candace play against each other like their moms like facing up like how do they how do they handle that they just say whoever asks them who's gonna win then they just say that person so that's about it if I ask them they're like Connecticut's gonna win and then she asks it's like Seattle's gonna win but uh during the game they were like they were so disinterested they were just on their iPad and like <laughs> <laughs> sleepy <laughs> the fact that they know better and just say whatever team of the person who asked them, they may have some little politician blood running. Right? A like, little bit, I, a little bit. I know what to say. Well, it's been so awesome watching you, uh, Bud, not only in your career, but as a mom over the years. But your team has started off red hot. And y'all are, I mean, I, I, you've been on the map, but y'all are putting everyone on notice. What's working so far so well for your team? Um, I think we just got a great group um, of hungry people right now. Um, we have a defensive-minded group, and, you know, defense kind of win games. So we, we hang our hats on that. And, uh, a group that came back, you know, from the from the bubble, we were all new last year. It was a new season, you know, for us and uh, new personnel. I, you know, for me, I came from Phoenix after 10 years. So last year it just took us a little time to gel. And I think this year everybody knows – you know, everyone and uh, we just JJ just fits right in. She's been here. She knows Kurt. So everything just clicking right now. But we really, really work hard on defense. And uh, that's what we kind of been hanging our hats on for, you know, we play really hard. You mentioned you absolutely play very hard. You mentioned <laughs> your time in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious how you feel like your role is different on this team than when you were with the Mercury. Um, I don't know if it, you know, changed too much. I think um, we have a lot of offensive weapons. I mean, in Phoenix, we did too. So I don't know if it changed much. I think I had to play a little bit more defense because, you know, Phoenix, we were all about offense. We just kind of run and gun and just put points on the board. And uh, hopefully that kind of takes up for our defense. And here it's just like, that's the first thing we do. And that's the first thing I had to buy into is, you know, uh, picking it up on defense a little bit more. So uh, if anything, that changed. That's interesting, you know, because there's always this conversation about, you know, how, I mean, we heard so much about Diana for good reason. And then Brittany came in and I feel like sometimes we would forget about you, but I feel like it's in Connecticut, like you are featured, I guess, a little bit more, it seems like on both ends of the floor. Now I know that, um, you know, you, Alyssa Thomas is injured last mm -hmm. year. You kind of had to get your footing with the team, but now you're playing alongside John Quell Jones. So what has that been like? just developing your chemistry for John Quell and, and what do you see in her as a player? Oh man, she's just a baller. She just go out and do her job every night. Uh, she rebounds, she can shoot the ball, she can post up. She's a, um, a great defender, you know, rim protector. And uh, last year, but we just didn't have that same, you know, uh, rim protection. So it's been kind of good to have that back there, but uh, man, she's just a competitor. <laughs> she kind of gets everybody going. She kind of, you know, hype everybody up before the game and, uh, it's just great to be out there on the court with her, especially when we had uh, Alyssa going down. So I uh, didn't hurt us too much. It didn't seem like so. Thank goodness she came back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wait, but she's getting the team high. John Quell gets the team high. Yeah, she she's the she's the go-to right there when you want some energy. Yeah, she kind of oh. she's so competitive. She's so competitive every night. She just she just want to play basketball. And that's what I love about it. No matter what happens, you know, uh, off the court. Uh, practice can go bad, you know, the day before, but when it's, when it's game time, she's locked in and focused and she's kind of our motivator. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Well, <laughs> I'm going to need some of those uh, John Cole Jones hype videos some some moments behind the scenes of her getting hyped. Cause she just, she looks so smooth out there. Like she just 
almost effortless. I mean, I've already said some teams have one unicorn, you know, Seattle's got Stewie. Y'all have two because between you and all the different aspects of the game that you can impact at 6'4", and then with her at 6'6", both of y'all can shoot it from long range. You're both long. Like, good luck with teams guarding you guys, and that's really been a big challenge so far. Um, I'm curious, you know, and you were talking about the defensive end, and I feel like Alyssa Thomas was such a big part of the defensive identity of your team in past years. Who's kind of picked up that slack on that end of the floor and is leading the charge on defense? Uh, that's kind of hard chess, like uh, to to pick up. We all have to kind of pitch in a little bit more um, on defense. So she just did a lot of things for us. Um, we can switch a little bit more. Uh, she offers rebounded. Uh, definitely our our go to defender. We kind of just put her on anybody at any moment. So now it's just kind of everybody has to bulk it down and just you know defend on our own. We can't rely on her switching or helping out or getting the steals and. Uh, we kind of just, you know, came together as a team. Like, okay, well, we know we don't have that this year. We gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta get through screens. We gotta play hard. We gotta, you know, make up for it in, in different ways. And right now, it's working. Um, our post players are, you know, we're hedging, we're trapping, we're trying to do everything, you know, right to make up for that that piece we miss until we get it back. So, uh, as long as we keep playing hard, I think we're just really hard to beat. It's working. It's definitely it's working. working. Exactly. It, it working. is. It, and you personally, you know, you scored 20 points in consecutive games to start the season for the first time since 2015. And that year you landed on the all WNBA first team following the season. Right now you're averaging 19 points, seven rebounds, four assists. You're shooting 54% from three. When you look at your game, take us back to the beginning, like young Dewana. How did you at 6'4 develop just all these multiple skill sets? Um... Man, I, you know, honestly, I have to credit that probably to Diana. Um, I just worked a lot with her. I, I learned from her for 10 years. I just watched her. Um, she would work with me and, uh, you know, working on my game, mid-range, pull-ups. I didn't have any of that when I came to the league. I was just straight go to the basket and rebounding. So uh, the more I spent, you know, in Phoenix, the more time I got to watch her and spend with her, uh, the coaches there, I just kind of kept working on my game. And now I'm just, I'm, you know, I like being versatile. I'm kind of, you know, just on my own path because it's, it's hard to defend. Like, you know, when you, you know, one-dimensional, it's kind of everybody knows what you're going to do. So I just try to use my speed. You know, I'm not the biggest out there, so I get knocked around a lot. But uh, I'm definitely going to, you know, run you around on that court for a long time, for 40 minutes, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you definitely get it done. And, wow, that's – I didn't even realize, you know, in just listening to you say that, I didn't realize that a lot of that skill development happened in Phoenix and that Diana Tarazi was yeah. someone who was in- – in that that's for that's sure. huge that's a story we definitely you know, she's uh, one of those players that can um, give you that confidence that's what I think it is I think it's just more so she just uh you just feel so confident when you're out there on the you know the court with her you know yeah I can knock this shot down and she'll tell you shoot it you know she so she just brought a different confidence to my game and uh and once I got that I just you know I feel like I can pretty much do anything out there <laughs> who gives you that confidence now myself <laughs> You got, got it, it right? <laughs> I got it myself now, it. but credit to my teammates for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to let you go, but I wanted to finish with a couple of rapid fire questions. We appreciate okay. you making time for us today. All right. Rapid fire question number one, the best and hardest part of being in the bubble last year. Uh, the best part would probably be bonding with my teammates for sure. It was a new, you know, new team for me and we were all right there in the hotel. So I really got to know my teammates and my coaches. So definitely um, that was the best part. The hardest part is definitely not being around Callie and Demi. Um, and especially they were only 45 minutes away. So it's really, really hard to like, you know, not just leave and go see them and come right back. So uh, with them, you know, not being there, that was really hard for me. Well, thank you for your sacrifice because no I can't problem. imagine as a mom, you know, that's sure. awesome that you did that. Seriously. All right. Uh, next question. Hardest WNBA player for you to defend? Hardest WNBA player for me to defend. Oh, this is a tough one. You know, right now I'm going to say Benadja Laney. I haven't played her yet and I play, you know, I played with her overseas and I practice and kiss her. I just feel like she can just do everything. She can post up, she can shoot, she can uh, get to the basket, she can defend. And uh, right now I just feel like it's her time, it's her year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested when we play her, how this matchup is going to be. So 
I just feel like even when she was in Atlanta, she's just so versatile with me. And I just wanted to, uh, it's a tough bars for me. <laughs> Woo, she is having, listen, Man. okay. <laughs> Killing she me has, right now. Oh my gosh, like it's incredible. Don't you love to see it though? A player yeah. that's kind of been overlooked and put exactly. in work. Like, exactly. and it's not a fluke. Like people who might've been like last year, yeah, most improved, can you do it again? She's still killing. She's still <laughs> like, killing. That is a tough bar right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, one of your pregame superstitions. Um, I don't know. I don't have too many superstitions besides taking a nap. Other than that, I don't really, you know, I have to talk to Kathleen Dim before I step on that court. That's for sure. Uh, just seeing that smiling face is kind of giving me, you know, that, that calm, you know, because they have no idea that I'm about to go out here and play a game and challenge, and, you know, so seeing them, they just talk about anything. So it just give me that calm before the storm type of feeling. So probably talking to Kelly and Demi. <laughs> and you I literally I call them before you before Kurt walk in. Sometimes I'm on the phone while he's like walking in. So <laughs> <laughs> and you realize that it's bigger than basketball, right? Exactly, exactly. At that moment. <laughs> that's not that's awesome. All right. So my last question is your favorite part of playing for the Connecticut Sun. Like that in Mohegan, the fan base. I know you guys are in um shout out to East Mine, which was my home last summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Favorite part so far, the definite fans. Um, you know, the, the my first game there was incredible, but um, I was just having to say bonding with these these my teammates. Uh, everybody's been so cool. We're a really close team here. Uh, we have a lot of fun, but um, just getting to know everybody and you know seeing Connecticut, you know, it's it's a surprise because when I got here and the listeners like kind of showed me around, the first day I'm like, oh my god, where am I? What is this? And then you kind of <laughs> go out on the outskirts and it's like nice pretty water you can eat on and uh different little shops so it's really really nice here so I'm actually surprised and I love it <laughs> yeah I love the east lime is yeah. by the water yeah you know, like the, and it makes you feel like you're getting away a little exactly. bit from exactly. everything exactly. yeah it's, it's so interesting fact uh Alyssa had posted a, a video of you guys um, on your balcony. Uh -huh. And I was like, wait, I think that's the apartment I stayed on. And yeah. so I said, Alyssa, and I was like, hey, did I stay there? She's like, yes, this is the same place you stayed. <laughs> exactly. It's really, really so, nice scenery, LaChina, really nice scenery. Hey, <laughs> and some good energy. I will take yes. the juju I left over and say that might be why you've been balling so far. Thank you. So I'll that's thank you. Bring, bring me some more <laughs> when I see you next time. <laughs> Well, you have a huge fan on our podcast, Tarika's Connecticut Sons. I mean, she is so sold out for y'all. Um, and, and she's been, oh God, look at her face right now. You want to say Listen, yeah. listen I got to, listen, Dewanda, I got I to turn introduce y'all. I got to turn my camera listen, off. Listen, of first <laughs> off, I go so hard all the time for Connecticut, number one. Number two, I was hosting last week and I'll be hosting tomorrow. So I'm going to be introducing y'all, getting y'all yes. really Okay. Yes, let's go. There we let's go. go. There we go. <laughs> let's go. We got to get back on the winning track. So hopefully tomorrow we can win. <laughs> hey, yeah. you just made her entire year, girl. She turned hey. on her camera for you and everything. I know. You are. Yes. You're not, you're not going to be able to tell me nothing. Nothing. Yeah. That. That's good. Good. <laughs> well, do want to give everyone our best and good I luck. Will. We appreciate your time and give Callie and Demi a big hug. Okay. I will. Thank you. All right, basketball fans. Well, we want to introduce you to a new segment on the Around the Rim podcast, one that we are extremely excited about, considering the fact that we are in the 25th season of the WNBA. We want to not only show some love, give some flowers, but also reflect on this 25 years with some of the best to ever do it. So introducing our five questions with the Legends segment, and we are more than pumped to welcome our first legend today. You would know her as Sunshine, D-Nasty. Come on. <laughs> um, had one of the best smiles, but also one of the most tenacious <laughs> rebounders to ever play the game. Join me in welcoming two-time WNBA champion with the LA Sparks, two-time gold medalist, Sydney and Beijing, honey. Three-time WNBA All-Star. Oh yeah, we can go back to college where she was TC Player of the Year in Florida. None other than Delisha Milton-Jones joining the show. Welcome, Delisha. Thank you, guys. So happy to be here with you. 
Well, we're so excited to have you. Now, right now, you are the head coach at Old Dominion Women's Basketball. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we've followed your career around college coaching the last few years, Syracuse. I know you were the head coach at Pepdine. Just give us an idea of what it's like to be a head coach at this time. Well, who doesn't like being the boss? I'll just start by saying that. And you guys are a perfect example of holding it down in your positions as boss women. But um, with the posture that I have as a head coach is one that uh, I take with tremendous pride. And having this position during this time that we're in right now, I think it's more fitting for someone such as myself who has been through so much within this game of basketball. I've seen the highs, the lows, went through all of the ebbs and the flows. I sound like I'm dropping bars right now. But you are. You are. <laughs> but but um, when you go through all of that as an athlete, I think you're suited for these positions during these times because you know how to be steady and um, and consistent. So that's something that I prided myself on and it has allowed us to weather a lot of storms that we've been through. Well, you had a winning season in your first year. So congratulations on that 13 and 11. I know sometimes when you first taken over, it can be rocky, but you are a winner. And I want to just go back to a couple things that stand out to me about your career before we get to your five questions. Okay. Number one, you are only, you're one of only five players all time in the WNBA history to amass 5,000 points and 2,400 rebounds. You rank fourth all time with 603 steals, which is just incredible in itself especially considering the fact that you play the forward position fifth with 24 92 career rebounds altogether eighth all time with 54 15 5415 points and 12th with 328 blocks and in 2015 you surpassed Tina Thompson for most WNBA regular season games played now some of these records obviously as time went on you know, they might've been surpassed here or there, but yeah. incredible yeah. career. Like you should never, ever be overlooked and always mentioned amongst the greatest. So with that being said, we have five tough questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Share a lesson you learned from a WNBA vet that helped you along the way in your career. Wow. I think that um, the WNBA vet that took me under her wing when I was a rookie uh, was Lisa Leslie Lockwood. And uh, the one thing that she taught me was how to be a pro. Uh, she showed me on a daily basis through example, but then also through our numerous conversations, she would give me the, the, you know, the secrets to this trade. Uh, if you want to have longevity in this thing, you have to learn how to treat it the right way. And, you know, Lisa was one that rubbed elbows with some of the game's greatest and I was there with a notepad, considered myself a dry sponge to soak any and everything up that she had to say. So definitely her teaching me and showing me how to be that consummate pro. Well, I'm going to tell you and Lisa on the floor together, a handful, okay? <laughs> Which was clear when the Sparks were dominating. Okay, next question. What is your most memorable moment of 25 years of the WNBA and why? <sighs> Wow. Let's see. Wow. I've had a lot of great ones. Um, probably winning, not the first title, but the second one, because it was a back-to-back -back and it's so hard to do something of that magnitude two times, let alone in a row. Um, and we've had teams that have done it spectacularly. You know, when you look at Houston and their run that they had four consecutive it's pretty, pretty cool. But for us to do that with the Sparks organization in the city of angels, the city of champions, uh, that was pretty awesome. So that would be a memorable moment. And you were the last to do it. That would have been in 2001 and 2002. So history made. All right. Um, name a player or a team that you wish you got to play with or for during your time. Well, when you play for as long as I did, 17 years, you played with everybody, whether it's in the WNBA or internationally. So if I have, if I could restructure your question specifically for the WNBA, I would probably say Diana Taurasi. You know, I had a lot of fun as her teammate on the Olympic teams. Um, and, and I had a lot of fun uh, being an opponent against her. But I would have loved to have played alongside someone like her in the WNBA. She just makes the game so easy. 
and she's just so great in her own right. I know that um, she's someone that I could have eaten off of on a nightly basis in a, in a tremendous way. Yeah, she makes everyone around her better. We talked to Skylar Diggins-Smith a couple of weeks ago, and she was like, man, you know, I know people hate playing against Diana, but they don't understand how great it is to be her teammate and how she builds other people up. Yes. That's the part you don't probably hear as much about with her as a player. Very true. All right, moving on. Okay. One thing that the WNBA or its players is doing now that you wish they, they were doing when you played? Social activism. And I think that the difference between them now and us then is the platforms that they have, especially from, a, from the, all the different mediums that they have available. Social media, you, you know, you're your own journalist, beat writer within the palm of your hand with your uh, iPhone or your Droid. You know, they have an opportunity to reach the masses rather instantaneously uh, with whatever it is that they have a strong desire to express. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to see them being strong advocates for those that are defenseless or those that have been silenced. I, I have, they have brought me to tears a few times whenever I'm looking at TV or I'm seeing the coverage and I just see the unity behind them taking a stand for what's right, that really touches me in a special way. And I think that the league is in good hands if they continue to do that uh, for those that can't fight for themselves. That's awesome. I mean, and I'm sure the players, I'm sure it makes them feel so proud to know they're making you guys proud because you were the building blocks for this league and it's around because of your blood, sweat and tears. And now they can even take it to that next level to your point of addressing a lot of critical social issues with the way social media works now, right? You don't have to wait for the press conference after the game. You can yeah. do your <laughs> do your thing right from your Twitter feed. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so it's really, really awesome. All right, last question. Okay. This is a toughie. If you could start your own WNBA team today and you could pick from all of the current players Ooh. that are active, <laughs> okay. who would be in your team starting five? Okay, I'm gonna have to go ahead and go with um, Brittany Griner as my five. I'm gonna have to go ahead and go with Sue Bird as my one. Um, Diana as my two. Stewie as my four. And hmm. What's the young lady's name for Vegas? Um, went to Notre Dame. Jackie Young. Jackie Young. She is hooping right now. She is. She is. She's she hooping, is. So. You put Jackie Young in that start five. I got to show that young in some love, you know, because the year before she, you know, I, I wasn't understanding what her game was and what she was trying to do. But this year she came out like gangbusters. So I'm going to show that sister some love. Good. She deserves it. And you absolutely right. After being picked number one, everybody was like, hmm, should she have been the number one pick? Mm -hmm. But those of us who have been around the game, you know, she's got the body. She's got she's got all the tools. Oh, it was just it. her figuring out, to your point, kind of what how she can be effective on the court. And with Angel McCartney's injury, you know, to that Aces lineup, honey, there's going to be some minutes and some buckets to be gotten on the perimeter. <laughs> she's taking advantage of it. <laughs> she absolutely is well Delisha you have been fantastic as always you have a ton of new ODU fans now even those listening to this podcast y'all got to go follow ODU women's basketball and it just I've watched you work you know over the years on the college level with the student athletes and it's great to see you passing down your wisdom your work ethic your knowledge and all of your greatness to the next generation so thank you for giving back and um hey just congrats on being a legend man like you are you're one of the greats <laughs> uh, thank you I appreciate you guys for recognizing that because sometimes when you're in my position um uh, you you can feel forgotten and, and overlooked and, and absent within certain types of conversations. You know, when I played this game, I played this game and I gave it everything, every ounce of me. And anyone that encountered me, I was intentional about that experience they had with me. And now when you walk away and you look back at it and you don't hear your name recognized in certain ways, or you're not considered for a hall of fame or, or anything like that. It, it, it's kind of heart wrenching, but 
uh, you know, life goes on and I want to give it to the generations that are coming behind me, hoping that I can pour into them in a powerful way where the league can be here for another 50 years. Well, you deserve the flowers. And if it's up to Tariq and I, you'd be in every Hall of Fame and you're very deserving. And, you know, I think sometimes we do get really stuck on, you know, certain people in the league or certain narratives, but we want to make sure, at least on this podcast, that we try to give everyone the love they deserve. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. And um, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. Keep doing the great work you're doing. 